couple weeks about this subject of joy. And when I first moved up to Philadelphia, people told me, they're like, oh, get ready for seasonal depression. I'm like, what's seasonal depression? I moved up from Tennessee. It's sunny and warm all the time. I'm like, I've never heard of seasonal depression. You know, it goes from 60 uh, in the fall to 40 in the winter, and then it goes back up to 110 degrees. And, you know, it's just always warm and sunny. And I was like, what's seasonal depression? And they said, it's going to get real dark, and it's going to get real cold, and you're going to feel like the world is over. And I'm like, that's not going to happen to me. And uh, for the first couple years, I was okay. But this year, I'm like, it's dark all the time. Like I wake up when it's dark, I go into work, I get off of work and I have like three hours of sunlight before it's 4 p.m. and then all of a sudden it's dark and then I'm going to bed earlier because I'm like, well, it's just dark. There's nothing to do except sleep, I guess. And I'm like, I think this seasonal depression has hit me. This is a real thing. And uh, so what I started thinking was like, if the tagline of Christianity is joy now and joy forever, where's my joy? Because it feels cold and dark and I need some joy. And so what you guys usually have to listen through and sit through is me trying to work out something in my own life and I turn it into a sermon series. And so that's what we're, why we're talking about joy. I need joy. You need joy. I think the entire world is looking for joy. And I think the good news is Jesus has joy and he wants to give it to us. And so that's encouraging to me. And so for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about how do you get this joy if Jesus has it? How do we position ourselves to receive it from him? And we talked about in our first week, we find joy when we practice the ways of Jesus. Jesus says, if you abide in me, if you obey me, if you live in love like me, well, then you get to enjoy the love of my father and your joy will be full. And then last week, we talked about how we can find joy even in difficulty. It's easy to find joy in the good things, things like bacon, things like family, things like, for me, Star Wars. Star Wars brings me joy. As soon as the lightsaber comes on, I'm like, that's a joyful moment. But there's also joy in difficult things, and that's what we talked about last week. Because God is good and God is everywhere, he hides joy even in the painful, difficult, troubling things in our lives. And this week, we're going to talk about how joy is a byproduct of the Holy Spirit working in you and working through you. In Galatians, um, in Galatians 2, verses 22 through 26, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Um, so I said Galatians 2, I meant Galatians 5, verses 22 through 26. And so here what it says in this passage is that a fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and it on. A fruit or a result of the Spirit is joy. A byproduct of the Spirit in you and working through you is joy. Now, do you know what a byproduct is? I did a little bit of research and, uh, you know, there's mechanical byproducts in certain mechanical processes. They're trying to make something, and in the process of making that, they make a secondary thing. They make something else. Um, there's chemical byproducts. In the process of making something chemically, you have a byproduct. For instance, um, when they're purifying sugar, molasses is a byproduct of that process. When they're making butter, buttermilk is a byproduct of that process to make butter. Has anyone ever had buttermilk? 
Okay. It's terrible. It's, it's awful. I don't know. Molasses is pretty bad too. My grandmother from Kentucky, she loved both of them, and I was like, they're terrible. Um, straw is a byproduct from grain. And just like these are byproducts, when the spirit is working in you and through you, a byproduct is joy. So, before we start talking about, like, how do we get the Spirit to work in us and through us, I think we need to ask four questions about the Holy Spirit. Because as one pastor I heard say, the Holy Spirit tends to be the forgotten God of the Trinity. We talk about God the Father, we talk about Jesus, God the Son, but we're like, the Holy Spirit's kind of in there, but we don't really always know where He is. So when we say the Holy Spirit, or the Spirit, uh, I think we have to ask four questions. Number one, what is a Spirit? You know, that's kind of a weird thing. Like, at Halloween time, there's stores that go up, um, you know, Spirit of Halloween. It's like, what's a spirit? It's like a ghost. Like, what does that mean? What does the Bible mean when it talks about spirit? Well, I think even people far away from God, people who say they aren't religious at all, sometimes say this to me. They're like, I'm spiritual, but not religious. And what they mean by that is, there's something true on a deeper level beyond what I can see, feel, and touch that ends up influencing what I see, feel, and touch. They're like, it's not just things that I can hold on to, but there's something else in this world. There's something beyond that. The Bible would describe your spirit as your thoughts and your emotions and your will. It's who you are beyond just your body. Sometimes people say they have an out-of-body experience because who you are is more than just a body. C.S. Lewis said, you are a soul, you have a body. And so, who you are is a spirit. You're a soul. There's a spiritual dimension that overlays everything we see in this world. It's a deeper reality that affects this reality. So what is the Holy Spirit? We have a soul, we have a spirit, but the Holy Spirit is a member of the Trinity. Now, we could spend the rest of the year talking about what is the Trinity. And when I was in seminary, we had classes that would go through semesters on what is the Trinity. And Christianity has debated and tried to explain what is the Trinity. The Trinity, for sake of time, we're just going to simplify it as there's three beings um, who live in community. And we call this Trinitarian community God. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Co-equal in value and worth. They are all fully God. How does that all work? How does that all fit together? We don't fully know. But we see all three of them at work throughout the Bible. In the beginning of the Bible, God says we should create God in our image. In the image of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. When Jesus is baptized, beginning his ministry on earth, God the Father says, um, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased, and the Spirit descends, all three of them present. And when we baptize someone, and someone says, I'm becoming a follower of Jesus, I want to live and love like Jesus did, the New Testament tells us to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is a member of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God. And the Holy Spirit in the Old Promise, in the Old Testament, would come and empower people for a certain amount of time. But in the New Promise, in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of people. And so I think the next question we have to ask is, how do we get the Holy Spirit? If joy is a byproduct of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is God, but how do we get him to produce his byproduct in us? 
over and over again in the New Testament, it says that as people became followers of Jesus Christ, as they submitted to his way, as they repented of their way and became believers in Jesus Christ, they received the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, he says, Don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. God himself takes up residence in you. And when I was a kid and my family started going to church, I remember that they would always yell at me that I shouldn't run in the sanctuary because that was God's house. And so as a kid, I didn't grow up in church. I didn't know we'd go in and I'd be like, fine, you know, start running around. Like, you can't run here. This is a sacred place. I was like, oh, okay. But what Paul says is, our bodies are where God dwells. He doesn't dwell in the church house. He doesn't dwell in this storefront. He dwells in us when we become followers of Jesus Christ. And so finally, how do we, I think the last question we have to ask is, how does the Spirit work inside of us? What's some of the things that he does? Well, the Bible tells us that he advocates for us. Have you ever felt like no one's on your side? Everybody's against you? The Holy Spirit is for you. He advocates for you. He goes to God the Father and God the Son and he says, Hey, have you checked that out? We should do something nice for him. Have you seen what he's going through? We need to, we need to help him. We need to come alongside him. It says that he prays for us when we don't know what to pray for. He guides us to make decisions and to encounter people. It says he gives us words to say when we don't know what to say. All these are the work of the Spirit. It says that he convicts us when we do something and we show him. So, quick background on the Holy Spirit. We could spend, if we had infinite amount of time, we could spend all of that talking about the Spirit. But for sake of time, those are the highlights we'll hit upon. And so let's jump back to our passage and we'll go back a little bit farther starting in verse 13, Galatians 5, verse 13. It says, For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But serve one another through love, for the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, because you will be consumed by one another. And so he says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These two are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar to that. It's like, wow, you could have just said anything similar. You know, you have to list everything. I'm warning you about these things, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he goes into that passage that we saw at the beginning, where he says, okay, that's the fruits of the flesh. The fruits of the spirit are love, joy, so what does he mean when he says flesh? Because all of us have bones and muscles and tissues. Is that what he's talking about? No, when, how he's using the word flesh is in the sense that the whole human race is infected with the disease that the Bible calls sin. Racism, sexism, inequality, whatever you see in the world is like, this is an issue. This is something that's wrong. 
These are all byproducts of a deeper disease in the human heart. This disease of sin. We have this selfish, destructive tendency to do things that hurt ourselves and hurt others and hurt the world that we live in. And Jesus is the cure. Jesus came into the world in the form of a man to take all the evil, to take this disease upon himself and to die in our place so that we might take his place in relationship with God. Now, he says here that, uh, he says something interesting. He says, if we're actually walking in the Spirit, in verse 18, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Something he was talking to the Galatians about was, hey, you don't have to keep all these rules from Judaism in order to be a follower of Jesus. But people kept coming and saying, you better keep these rules from Judaism. And what Paul was saying here was that if you're being led by the Spirit, you won't need rules because you'll be doing what's right. Jesus summed up the, all the law and the prophets as love God and love others. And he says all the law can be summed up here as love your neighbor as yourself. And he says if you're walking in the spirit, you're going to be loving people. And he says you won't need to worry about keeping a whole bunch of rules because you'll be doing what's right. Now I think sometimes that we imagine that a world with no rules would be absolute freedom. But a world with no rules would actually be absolute anarchy. Um, over and over again in the Bible, we see where people put self-limitations on their power, and that's actually a strength. We see God do this, where he takes on the form of a man and walks around as Jesus. He um, restrains his power and his glory, or otherwise it would overwhelm us. And so freedom is not having no rules, but freedom is instead saying that there is a healthy limitation in place so that what I do is good for me and for others. What I find is so often when I'm in control of my world, my world is actually out of control. When the spirit is in control of my life, my world is actually in his control. It's not spinning out of control. And that's what he begins to describe here. He says, if your flesh is in control, your world is going to be out of control. Your actions are going to be out of control. Your emotions are going to be out of control. But he says if the spirit is in control, your life is actually going to be controlled. It's going to actually be in a healthy state of control. And so he uses a couple different words here to begin to describe these things. He says in verse 16, he says, walk in the spirit. And he says in verse 25, keep in step with the spirit. Over and over again, Paul in his writings also uses the phrase to be filled with the Spirit. The Greek word here translated to walk in the Spirit or to keep in step with the Spirit is literally a military term. It means to march with the people in front of you, to stay in step with those who are marching in front of you. And so literally what he's saying is you need to march through your life marching behind the Spirit. Literally walking in the footprints of the Spirit. Letting the Spirit go before you so that you know where to step and what pace to keep and where to go. Walking in the Spirit is yielding to the Spirit's guidance and control in your life and saying, I'm not in control. Holy Spirit, you're in control. When we do that, it allows us to be empowered by the Spirit's strength. It allows us to have the strength and the power to live and love like Jesus. In Ephesians 5.18 it says, don't get drunk with wine. When you do that, it leads to reckless living. But instead, be filled 
with the Spirit. Now, when you get drunk, nobody says, like, well, what you did when you were drunk doesn't count. Because you were drunk. Like, we won't blame it on you. We'll put the bottle of tequila on the stand. You know? They're like, you're responsible for what you did when you were drunk. It's still you, even though you've been influenced by the alcohol. And when we're controlled by the Spirit, it's not like all of a sudden I'm like, I'm now the Holy Spirit. You know, and like I become a completely different person. But it begins to influence the way that you talk to people and where you go and how you process things. It doesn't change who you are, but it influences who you are. The word translated spirit, here is the word pneumo, which means breath or wind. And to be filled with the spirit is a, really a sailing metaphor. It's this idea that you're a boat and you have a big sail and the spirit is actually filling your sails. And if you've ever seen a sailboat or you've ever been on a sailboat, the wind controls both the direction and the speed at which someone moves if they were a sailboat. And so the Holy Spirit is both empowering you to move, but it's also guiding where you move. And this is why that Paul says if you are actually walking in step with the Spirit, you don't need a bunch of rules to live by. Because if we're walking in step with the Spirit, He's going to guide us to do the right things and say the right things and show up at the right places. God's commands are never to control us. They are always to funnel us towards joy. And sometimes I look at the things that God commands and I'm like, I don't want to do that. But God is trying to funnel us towards joy. I started thinking of bowling. If you've ever bowled with the bumpers up, sometimes I'll go to a kid's birthday party and I'm like, sweet bumpers are up. Finally get a good score. Because normally when I bowl, it just goes right into the gutter. And um, or I do this at least once every time I bowl. I go down the line and I slip and fall. I really try not to do this, but it's become a habit where I do that every time now by accident. And the ball usually goes flying off into someone else's lane, and they're like, "Hey, idiot!" Um, but when I have the bumpers up, it just helps me so much. My score gets so much better. When God tells us to do things. There are bumpers on our lives so that he can get our ball down and get a strike. If we're looking for joy, God has commanded things not to control us, but to funnel us towards joy. If we're walking in step with the Spirit, we're going to be naturally keeping the commands of God. And so here in this passage, we have two lists, right? He, he says the works of the flesh are all these things. And he just says all these horrible things that we've got inside of ourselves and that we've done. And maybe as I read some of them, you thought back to yourself and you're like, yep, I did that this week. And then he has this list, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. And you're like, I wish I had those things. I wish I had seen those things this week. And really what he's talking about here is he's essentially saying these are dashboard warning lights in your spiritual life. You know in your car there's dashboard warning lights? Like right now in the new car that we got, new used car that we got, uh, there's a light on that says oil change. I just changed the oil, but I don't know how to turn off the warning light, and so it's just still up there. But there's things in your car that'll say, like, low fuel, or tire pressure low, or, you know, there's these warning signs. And what Paul is saying here is, if you see these things in your life, it's a dashboard warning light that you're walking in the flesh, that you're being controlled by the flesh. And he says, if you see these things, it means that the Spirit is actively at work in your life. If you see love, joy, peace, patience. He says, if you see fits of rage and jealousy and selfish ambition and envy, that's a warning sign that your sin disease is in the driver's seat of your spiritual life. 
He says, but if you see your love growing and your joy and your patience and your self-control growing, that's a sign that the Spirit is in the driver's seat in your life. And so as we come to the end, I think there's three things that we need to do. Because we're like, okay, Alex, you dumped all this theological information about the Holy Spirit. Then you talk about walking in the flesh, walking in the Spirit. What do we do with this? Well, I think, first of all, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you need to receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus invited everyone he encountered to become a student of the way that he lived and loved. He called it becoming his disciple. And he says, I want you to go everywhere and invite people to be my disciples. In Acts chapter 2, verses 38, Peter said, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. To repent means to change the way that you think and to head in a new direction. When you repent, you say, I've been doing things my way, but I think Jesus' way is actually the way. Jesus knows better than I do. And when you repent, Jesus will give you the Holy Spirit to empower you to live in love like he did. When you say, Jesus, I trust you. My way isn't going to get me what I want. It's not going to lead to joy. It's going to lead to this list of chaos. I am going to submit to you. I'm going to surrender to you. Come and be my master. Then he empowers you with the Holy Spirit. So if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you can do that right now. You don't have to do a big flashy thing. We don't have to come up front. It's just you saying, Lord Jesus, I need the Holy Spirit. Come rescue me. And then the second thing we need to do is, daily, we need to choose to be guided and empowered by the Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit, you can still many times ignore the Holy Spirit and let the flesh sit in the driver's seat of your spiritual life. In Luke eleven thirteen, Jesus says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So many times Jesus had just shared a story here and he said, you know, if your son or your daughter asks for an egg, will you give them a rock? Like, if they ask for a meal, will you give them a poisonous snake? He's like, you won't do that. You're good parents. And he goes, I'm a better parent than you. If you ask me, I'm going to give it to you. If you're asking to be guided and empowered by the Spirit, I'm going to do it. Too often, I wake up in the morning, and my first thing is, like, i got to hit these tasks. i got to get going. Instead of stopping and saying, Jesus, will you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Today, will I be guided by your Holy Spirit? I want you to control my life today. I don't want to be in control. I don't want to control this situation or this person or what's going to happen. I want you to control it. So many times I want to be in control because if I'm in control, I'll get the praise when things go well. But you know what also happens if you're in control? You get the pressure when things don't go well. It's so much better to give that to the Holy Spirit and say, you're more powerful than me. You're in you control things so much better than me. When I'm in control, I end up being in strife and jealousy and outbursts of anger. I need you to control this today. I want to walk in step with you today. Just stop and say, Lord Jesus, will you help me walk in step with the Spirit today? And then finally, I think we need to empty ourselves. If we're going to be filled with the Spirit, that means we need to empty ourselves of what we are filled with. So, if this is me, I'm a mason jar. Oh, this is a ball mason jar. But anyways, uh, same thing. So if I'm filled up with myself, 
there's not a lot of room for the Holy Spirit to fill me up. If I'm like, fill me up, Holy Spirit, but I'm already full of myself, I'm not going to get very much of the Spirit actually working in me and through me. And so I think we have to empty ourselves. And then once we're empty, we can actually be filled with the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, fill me, fill my whole life. And then you can work in me and through me. But see, most of the time, I'm not filled with the Holy Spirit because I'm filled with me. My ambitions, my dreams, what I want, what I need to happen. I'm filled up with so much Alex, there's very little Holy Spirit. There's very little space for him to come and work in me and through me. And so sometimes that means just stopping and saying, Lord Jesus, here's everything that I want. I'm going to set it aside so that I can be filled with everything that you want. Here's everything I'm full of, all my ambitions and all my strengths and everything I think I can do. And I'm going to set those aside because I know that you can do more in me and through me than I could do in me. Emptying yourself so that you can be filled with the police. In Ephesians 4.30 it says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit is a sign that one day we will be with Jesus forever. Having the Spirit in us, working in us, and through us, is his stamp that says, hey, I'm going to fulfill all my promises. You don't fully enjoy my presence yet, but you will one day. But it says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Grieve is a relationship important. The Holy Spirit is not a power or a force that we coerce into doing what we want or what we need to get done. He's a person who wants to have a relationship with us because he literally lives inside of us if we're followers of Jesus Christ. And how many times have I tried to manipulate or use the Holy Spirit to empower something I'm doing instead of actually having a conversation with the Holy Spirit and say, I need you. I need you to empower me, to speak through me, to use me, and to clean out some of this junk in my life so that I can have more empty space for you to Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word and thank you for your reminder about the Holy Spirit. Forgive us for sometimes so often talking to God our Father and so grateful for God the Son and ignoring the fact that God the Spirit lives inside of us. And Lord, I pray that you will help us to stop and pause and remember that without you, we can do that we cannot live and love like Jesus without the supernatural strength of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, if there's anyone here who has never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I pray, Lord, that even now, they'll just whisper, Lord Jesus, save me, rescue me. I want to be a student of the way that you lived and loved, and I can't do that without your supernatural strength. You empower me with the Holy Spirit. And God, teach us to daily stop and pause and remember that we cannot live the life of the kingdom without living in step with the spirit. And we need